The video that you're watching was made a couple of years ago in Indonesia. The Gideons were asked to come to this area, to a very remote area, to give New Testaments to their students in their schools. When the Gideons got there, they saw that the only way to get to this camp area was to cross this river, this current, and in an ox cart. Gideons got to the area where they were and they were able to distribute 800 New Testaments to the students in that remote area. A little bit later you'll see there's two young men helping a Gideon cross that water by walking over. Those two young men, after they received their New Testaments, they began to attend a Bible college. This is just one example of how God is using the Gideons around the world to distribute his word. You see, we here in America, we have no idea of the difficulties that people have around the world just to get a copy of God's word. I'm going to burn this book. That's what Rob, a college student in New Jersey, said when he was handed a New Testament from the Gideons International. The next year, the Gideons returned to the camp and Rob came up to them and he apologized for his previous actions. Well, you see, Rob didn't burn the book. He had read the book and he accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. The Gideons is an association of born-again Christian business and professional men. We are all laypersons. We are not clergy. We are in good standing in the evangelical or Protestant church. We have the opportunity to serve side by side with our wives as the auxiliary. The Gideons believe in the endless lake of fire for those who do not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The Gideons believe in the biblical standard of marriage between one biological man and one biological woman. The Gideons believe that the Bible, yes, the Bible is the inspired, the infallible, the inerrant word of God, and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Our purpose since 1899 has been to share the gospel around the world and have the lost come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We are organized in 200 countries and territories with scriptures published in 109 different languages. The Gideons began to distribute scriptures in 1908 as a way to fulfill their purpose and their mission. We place Bibles in hotels, motels, hospitals, and convalescent homes. We distribute New Testaments to students in schools, to colleges, to police, to fire, to medical personnel, as well as men and women in the armed forces. Yes, we are a ministry that's known from the scriptures that we distribute around the world, but our mission is to have the lost come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Since 1908, the Gideons have distributed some 2.5, yes, two and a half billion scriptures around the world. God's promise of Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be, which goeth forth out of my mouth. 
It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper for unto I sin. That promise is being fulfilled by men, women, boys and girls who come to know Christ through scriptures placed by the Gideons. Now the next testimony I want to talk to you about this morning is one that Brother Roy Smith and I had the privilege of being a part of. You see, each year we have what we call Bible blitzes. And a Bible blitz is where we go into an area where we do not have enough Gideons to do the work, mostly metropolitan areas, but we go and help them. In fact, we had one here a couple of months ago in Clarksville, where in two days we distributed almost 13,000 scriptures. But we had one a couple of years ago in Chattanooga. I had the privilege of standing in the pulpit, just like I am this morning, talking about the Gideon ministry and the work that God's asked us to do. And that evening we all met together and we were assigned our work that we'd be doing for the next couple of days. And the group that Brother Roy and I was in, we were assigned to go to local hotels. Now when we get to the local hotels, we meet with the managers and the managers gives us a list of rooms and a pass key that they allow us to go into. Now it's the rooms that are not occupied. So for the rooms that are occupied, we give the manager Bibles and we ask them to permit their staff to change out those Bibles for us. Well, we was at one of the local hotels and we was walking down the breezeway and there was a lady sitting outside her door. And we spoke to her as we went by and went down a couple of doors and started knocking on the door. And when we did, she said, you guys are with the Gideons. We said, yes, ma'am, we are. And she said, well, if you'll hand me a Bible, I'll swap out the Bible in my room for you. And so we did. And she went in and she brought out the Bible and gave it to us. And we thanked her and we started to walk off. And as we did, she said, can I, can I show you all my Bible? <laughs> we said, well, sure. And so she went in her room and she came back out and she handed us her Bible. And when we did, we looked at it and we saw it was a Gideon Bible. And we opened it up and some of the pages were loose. There was some circling on the pages, there's underlining, there was highlighting, and there was writing in a lot of the margins in that Bible. And with a smile on her face, she said, yes, I must confess, many years ago, I stole that Bible from the Gideons from a hotel room. I was in that hotel room at a time that I was down and out. I didn't see any hope in this life. I picked up that Gideon Bible and I began to read it and I read it for the next several months until I come to know Christ and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. So you see, I am so thankful for the Gideon ministry and the work that you do. Now the next testimony I want to tell you about, it's not a recorded testimony and by recorded, we don't know whether a man or a lady left this particular one. But gentlemen, if your handwriting is about half as good as mine, a lady left this particular one. We go to our local hotels here in Dixon and we check the Bible. First, we check to see, did somebody take the Bible? And if they did, we replace that Bible. Now, when we replace a Bible in a hotel room or anywhere, we say a prayer over that Bible, asking God to use that Bible to lead some lost soul to know Him as Lord and Savior of their lives. Well, we in a couple a hotel here a couple of years ago, the late Phil Buckner and I, and we were checking the Bibles to see if they've been desecrated. Did somebody accidentally spill something on the pages? Or 
that the page is torn in any way or did somebody write in the Bible? Well, we was looking and we came up on this Bible right here and we looked through it and we got to the back of it and it was all kind of writing. And I'd like to read to you what this particular person wrote. It, first, they wrote the lyrics of an old song. It says, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. And then we turn this page and we come to the back of this book. And you can see that there's many books, chapters and verses of the Bible that have been written down. Now, now we can only imagine that as this person read, each time they read, they made a notation of what they read until they came to the back of this book and they wrote this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I need a savior. I believe you are the way. To God the Father, I accept you as my savior. Please forgive me for all of my sin and come into my heart and save me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for the precious gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gideon ministry. We spread the gospel and the lost come to know Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. According to recent survey, there's eight and a half billion people in the world today. And about six billion unsaved people. Now that means there's six billion people that needs a copy of God's word. And you can help us reach them. You ask how? Well, first we ask you to pray for the Gideon ministry. Pray that God will open doors around the world that have never been opened. That his word can be distributed. But not only those doors. Pray that God will reopen doors in some of our hotels some of our hospitals, and some of our schools. Right here in America, right here in Tennessee, and right here in Dixon, that those doors will be reopened and God's word distributed once again. Then we ask you to pray about giving. Yes, we ask you to pray about financially supporting the Gideon ministry. And if you do give, remember that every penny you give goes to scriptures. And the testimonies I've told you about today, they're made possible from gifts from people just like you. We place these Bibles in hotels and motels around the world at a cost of $5. With the potential, the potential to reach 2,300 people during the life of that one Bible. And when we replace those Bibles, we take this hard cover off and we place a soft cover over it and we give it to the local jail ministry here in Dixon. We've distributed these New Testaments in over 160 countries around the world at $1.56. Now the Gideons, we also have what we call the Gideon Expression Card Ministry. And we have a rack in the lobby, down the hallways and over in the youth building some of you have been using these cards, but I'm here this morning and I'm going to challenge every person here. Every time you send a card from now on, please consider sending a Gideon card. It doesn't make any difference the occasion. It can be a thank you card, a get well card, 
a birthday card, anniversary, graduation, and memory. For when you send these cards, first you send a verse of scripture from the Bible. And then you send a testimony of someone who come to know Christ through the Gideon ministry. But then you show that person that you cared enough. You loved them enough that you donated Bibles in their honor. You write your message, you mail them this card, you mail this envelope with your check to the Gideons. We take your money, we have scriptures printed, and we distribute those Bibles around the world in their honor and in your honor. So I'm challenging you, please send a card, send the word, and save a life. Now the Gideons also realize that not everyone can be a Gideon. So a few years ago, they started what they call Friends of Gideons. Now to be a friend of the Gideons, you're gonna to pledge to be a prayer partner, or you're gonna to pledge to be a financial partner, or you can pledge to do both. So if you'd like to know how to become a friend of the Gideons, the benefits of being a friend of Gideons to the ministry, and the benefits to you, Please go to our website. Yes, we're like everybody else in the world. The Gideons have a website. It's called friendsofgideons.org. Please write that down. Consider being a friend of the Gideons at friendsofgideons.org. Or stop out front at our table. We have pamphlets on being a friend of the Gideons. We also have applications for any man that's in this building today. They would like to take the challenge that God gave us to step outside the walls of this building and spread his word around the world. We also have what we call Bible Alps. We have a Bible Alps card out there that you can give someone. It's in almost 2,000 different languages for that person to read the Bible. Now, you may be here today and you'd like to financially support us, but you weren't prepared to today, you may send a check at any time to P.O. Box 21, Dixon, Tennessee, 37056. That's P.O. Box 21, Dixon, Tennessee, 37056. Brother Tim, thank you. And thank each and every one of you for granting me just a few moments to tell you a little bit about the work that the Canadians are doing and the impact that your prayers and your gifts are making around the world. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother Bobby. It is so important to hear the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the word of God. And uh, that is the only way of salvation is for someone to hear the word of God and respond to the word of God through faith. And so it is so important and their ministry is so great and we are so thankful for the Gideons and their ministry. This morning, I have the great privilege of being with you this morning and um, Pastor Mike's been on a sermon series called Remember Your Creator. And um, this is kind of a, kind of a, a lesson off of that with uh, the, this passage of scripture in 139 talking about God's uh, knowledge, his, his presence, his power, specifically and intimately with us as his creation. And so I'm excited about reading this. So Psalms 139, if you got your Bibles, turn there and join me if you would. Psalms 139. Psalms 139. 
Beginning in verse one, it says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. I'm going to pause there just for a second. Uh, this passage was written by the psalmist David. David wrote this passage. Uh, in this particular passage, there is a connection from the beginning of this passage to the very end of this passage. In the very beginning in verse one, it says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. And then in verse uh, 23, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. So there's a connection from the beginning of this passage to the end of this passage about God searching and examining our hearts. And so that is going to be very important. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later on the service. But but God, uh, but the psalmist David recognizes that God searches us. He examines us. He knows us. And then he goes into great detail explaining us how much God knows us, how much God is intimate with us, how much God is supreme and powerful in the development of our life. And so continuing on, we read in verse two, you know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travel and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. Lord, you have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. I'm going to pause there. Let's join me in prayer. God, I pray this morning as we study your word, as we look at this passage from Psalms 139, God, I pray that we would be able to understand who you are, your qualities, your characteristic traits, your power, your presence, and all your might as we study this word. God, I also pray that we would understand who we are in light of who you are and how you have created us. God, help us to understand your love for us. Help us to understand your thoughts and how much you have sacrificed and given your life to save us. God, help us to grasp how much we are loved by you. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning through your word, and I pray this in your holy name. Amen. So in this passage of scripture, it dives in in the very beginning. Uh, the psalmist David begins to outline and help us to understand who God is. The psalmist David was probably sitting there and he was pondering and thinking about God, his character, his quality, his characteristic traits. And as he began to ponder and think about who God is and his power and his knowledge and all the vastness of who God is, he penned and wrote this down about God. In the beginning here, he writes about a God who knows all about us. And in this passage, he tells us, that he knows everything about us. He knows us when we are at home, when we're sitting, when we're standing. All that is knowledge to God. He knows that. He understands our thoughts. He knows our very thoughts. Everything is observed by God. He is aware of all that is going on in our life. So we have a God who is very intimate in his creation. God is someone who just didn't just create his creation and then stand back and watch it unfold. 
Our God not only created it, but he is intimately involved in his creation. He knows you. He knows all about you. He knows your name. He knows all the things that are going on in your life. He knows you. He has not forgotten you. Right before I got up here, I got a text from a teenager that I've been talking with. And I've been ministering to this teenager who's going through a really dark time right now. And the one thing that she has asked, does God even know of my suffering? God knows all. God knows your life. He knows the pain and the sorrow of everything. He knows when you get up. He knows the struggle. He knows the trials. He knows all that is happening in your life. He is a God who knows. He is a God who's intimate. He is a God who is connected. He knows your feelings. He knows your joys. He knows your celebrations. He also knows your sadness. We have a very intimate God who knows us who understands us, who observes all that we do and all that we see. He knows it all. He sees it all. Everything is knowledge to him. But we don't just have a God who knows it all up in heaven looking out, but we have a God who intimately knows it. Jesus himself was sent to this world and took on flesh and experienced everything that we do as humans. We have, a, we have a God who came and was intimately involved in our creation and in our world, who knows the sorrow and the pain. We see in the life of Jesus, the pain and the suffering. We saw him hunger. We saw him thirst. We saw him weep. He has experienced the life of humanity and he knows it intimately. He also knows what it means to be tempted. He knows it. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, it says, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, our great high priest, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. He knows our temptation. We also, he knows our sin. Now he has not sinned, he is sinless. But in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So he knows our sin. He knows the shame and the guilt because it was placed upon him. He knows our pain. He is a God who knows all about us. He observes all, he sees all, and he is intimate with us. So he is a God who created us. He God knows about us, but he is also a God who cares for us. In that verse, it says that you have encircled me. That word encircled kind of gives the idea of, of a, a um, hedge of protection around you. God protects you. He is overlooking and overseeing your life. And he has put protection in your life. It also says that his hand is upon you. That's the sign of God's blessing upon you. God blesses you. He watches over you. So not only does he intimately, and he has created you intimately, and he knows you, and he knows what you're going through, but he cares for you, he knows you, and he is with you through it. Which leads us to our second aspect of scripture. As we continue reading, follow along as we continue reading in verse 7. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, 
you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So not only do we have a God who knows us, but we have a God who is present with us. He is with us. The psalmist David started out by asking questions. Where can I go to get away from you? And then he begins to ask these if-then statements. If I go to heaven, you're there. Even if I make my bed in Sheol, even if I go to hell, even there, your presence is there. You're everywhere. If I go as far east as I can go, you're there. If I go as far west as I can go, you are there. Matter of fact, in the story of Jonah, Jonah tried to escape the presence of God. And he went completely the opposite direction of where God had called him to go. And even in him trying to escape, going as far east as possible, sorry, as far west as possible, even there, God was there. We cannot escape God's presence. God is with us. Even in darkness, darkness is not dark to him. He sees all. Nothing has is, is been blinded by God. He sees in all and he is with us through it all. So we have a God who is with us. He is omnipresent. That means that he is everywhere. Not only is he here with us this morning at First Baptist Church, but as he is with all believers this morning in every church. He is with you when you leave this place. He is with you when you're alone in your room at night, when you lay your head down. He is always with you, and he's with you at the same time that he's with everyone else in this world. He is present with you, and guess what? Our God wants to spend eternity with us. He has invited us to spend eternity with him. For all eternity, our God wants to be with us in his presence with him. That means he must like us, you know, to be in our presence, to have us in his presence for all eternity. He must be a God who really cares and really loves us as we see in these passages. And it also reminds us that even when tragedy strikes and even when we go through the most difficult and darkest of situations, God is with you. I know there may be times in your life that you may be questioning and saying, God, where are you? Why are these bad things happening to me? Why am I dealing with so much darkness and wickedness and so much evil things have happened? But we can take comfort in knowing that in this passage, God explains to us that he is with us. His presence is with us. Then the psalmist continues on. In verse 13, he says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me. When I was formless, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So God has communicated to us his, his power. His power of creation. Our God spoke all of creation into being with his word. With his word, all that we see has come into existence. He created all things. 
He is our powerful God, our creator, and our God has created us. And we as humans have been created in his image and we are made in the image of God. And not only is our image made and we are created by God, but we are very intimately created by God. Listen to the way the scriptures talk about how he created us, that we were formed or knitted or even some translations say woven. It's almost as if God has woven a tapestry together. He has put us together just as you put together a piece of article of clothing. He has sewn us together and knitted us together and perfectly created us. It goes on to say that, it, uh, that, that we are wonderfully and remarkably made. We are not a mistake. You are not an accident. Your life was created by God. Therefore, your life has value. It has worth. It's not just some random cells that have been birthed and here you are. You have been beautifully made by God. God created each and every one of us specifically. There is no accidents with God. There is no whoops with God. Every one of us was in the mind of God created perfectly in our mother's womb. And even in our mother's womb, he was there present with us. He was there at birth, creating us, watching over us. It says that, um, that even um, your eyes saw me when I was formless, all my days were written in your book and planned. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11, God was talking to the people of Israel. And he was telling the people of Israel that he had not forgotten them, that he was not going to just send them off to, to uh, exile and, and bondage with, and, and forget about them, but that he had a plan and a purpose for their life. And that same plan and purpose is also for our life. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, he, told, he tells them, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And those same promises that God gave to Israel, he has given to us, his created beings. Each and every one of us can say that we have been created by God, that we have been created for a plan for him, a purpose for him, that he plans not to do us harm, that our God is a good God who wants to bring good to his creation. A God who wants to give you a hope, a future for your life. He is a God who loves you. And so even before you were born, even when you were in the darkness of your mother's womb, even then God knew you and he was present with you and he had great plans for you. You have been beautifully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful and you've been created by God and he loves you. Then the psalmist goes on into verse 17 and he says, God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. So the psalmist David recognizes not only does God know us, not only does God's present with us, not only is our value and our worth because of how he created us and that he has plans for our life and that we are uniquely and wonderfully made, but God actually thinks of us. 
He has thoughts for us. His thoughts are so numerous, they outnumber the sands of the sea. His thoughts for us are great. And he has thoughts about us. We are on his mind. And therefore, we matter to God. We matter to God. And when you think about the people that you love and how they come to your mind and your thoughts and how you have those thoughts of you, God has those thoughts and those feelings when he thinks of you. God is a God who loves you. He doesn't look on his creation and like, man, why can't they get it together? He doesn't have thoughts of like, man, you've, you've ruined it. It's over. God knows that we're sinners. And his thoughts sent his son. His thoughts sent his son to the cross. And I honestly believe, we're not told this, but I honestly believe that when Christ was on the cross, his thoughts are on you. That he died on the cross with you in his mind. He died for you. He knows you. He met, we matter to him and he loves us. This is the kind of God who we serve. And as the psalmist David was thinking about who God was, about how God is all-knowing, how God is present everywhere, how God uh, is all-powerful, and how God's thoughts are upon him. In that very moment, in that very moment, I think David got a little bit prideful. Because in the very next section, he moves to something that's very strange. In the very next section, instead of um, continuing on praising God, he begins to turn around and start thinking about others. Specifically those who are his enemies. Those who are the ones who, uh, that he couldn't stand to be around. And he says in verse 19, God, if only... You would kill the wicked. You blurred thirsty men, stay away from me. Who invoke deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. So in this moment of thinking about himself and thinking about who he is and God, and he's like, oh, God has created me. God has made me special. God knows all about me. God's presence is with me. God thinks of me. In that moment of weakness, he begins to look around at others and think, God, destroy my enemies. I hate them. I hate these people. And God, I think you should hate them too. I think you should kill them. And so in that very moment of all of a sudden turning to this reflection of looking outward at everyone else, thinking that he's, that all of a sudden there's, a, there's pride maybe and, and thinking of himself maybe a little bit more than he ought, he turns and has, puts his focus on others. But then as just as soon as he says those statements, there's an, another abruption. There is another statement. And it's almost as if in that thought, he comes humbling to his knees and he realizes that there's no good in me either. That I'm a sinner just as well. And so in verse 23, he moves in humility to say, 
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So many times we can think of ourselves a little bit higher than we ought to. So many times we can think, well, I'm better than so-and-so down the street because look at my life. I don't do what they do. But in God's eyes, it tells us that we have all fallen short of God's glory. There is no one perfect on this earth. The only one who ever lived on this earth that was perfect was Jesus Christ. And it's only through him that we have grace and mercy and forgiveness. And the only reason why I stand before you today in the way that I am as a, as a man who pursues God, who lives and tries to strive to live for God, is because of Jesus Christ. There is no good in me. And so in these very verses here, David realizes that I am a sinner just as everyone else. And in humility, he cries out to God, search me. Look in my heart. Look at my deeds. Look at my darkness. Look at my evil. Look at my sin. Unveil that to me. Because God, you know all things. And sometimes... I can even trick myself into believing that I'm greater than I am. Show me my failures. Show me my faults. Show me where I have sinned. Unveil that to me. And in humility, we acknowledge our sins before God. And the greatness and the goodness of God is not only does he know us, not only is he present with us, not only is he beautifully created us, not only does he have thoughts for us, but he also is a God who loves us and forgives us for when we fail. Our attitudes in our hearts should be like this of verse 23. And we ought to come to him and say, God, if there's anything that we've done wrong, lead us in the path of righteousness. Because it's only in humility that we can find forgiveness. And it's only in humility that we realize how great God is, how sinful we are, and how thankful we should be for what God has done for us.